This week on Grubstakers, it's a special episode about prescription drugs. We're talking about Purdue Pharma, the billionaire Sackler family, and their role in the heroin epidemic, as well as the antibiotics in your food. Coming right up on Grubstakers. Because of my success in the private sector, I had the chance to run America's largest city for 12 years. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. And that's just, that's just not true. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Welcome to Grubstakers. Uh, my name's Yogi Polywall. I'm Sean McCarthy. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffers. And on this week's episode, we will be talking about Drogos. Yeah, it's a special look at uh, drugs, particularly the prescription drug industry in the United States. Uh, and I think uh, really the best way to dive into that is to talk about the uh, the Sackler family. Well, before we jump into it, are we on any prescription drugs? Are the Grubstakers taking any RX? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, Andy Palmer has a complex cocktail that makes him the man that he is today, but not the man I knew 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> he takes like four different RXs every morning, and then suddenly his personality changes. It Mostly it keeps me from over-apologizing. That's what Effexor does, is I feel less shame. Well, he goes to sleep as uh, Mr. Hyde and wakes up Jekyll. Like, it's really, <laughs> that's really the beauty of Andy Palmer. I just like the idea, like, Andy wakes up every morning and he does, like, 20 uh, pull-ups and he's, like, lifting weights and, like, talking about the <laughs> NFL games last night. And then you hear, like, a change where he's like, no, don't make me! <laughs> and his arm actually rebels and forces the pills down his throat and then he becomes a science nerd for the rest of the day. Right, right. It's, it's quite disturbing. Well, theoretically, yes. Yeah. No, I take uh, I take Paxil for anxiety. It's, uh, it's helped. You yeah? Know? How long have you been it's on fun. Paxil? I don't know, a year, maybe two years now. Maybe two Grub years. Stakers is brought to you by Paxil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ask your doctor about Paxil. Do it today. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of observation about over-prescription in the United States and uh, the current heroin epidemic. And I don't think you can really talk about that without talking about the Sackler family. Uh, there have been some great uh, profiles on them in both Esquire and New Yorker magazine. But long and short, there's about 20 members uh, Forbes estimates their combined net worth at $13 billion, and they are 100% owners of Purdue Pharma, who, of course, manufacture and market at OxyContin. There's 20 uh, members of this family? Yeah. They've got a lot of... So basically, there were three brothers originally who started it. Now, here's a little story I got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. Um, Arthur Mortimer and Raymond Sackler. Um, they're all dead now, but they have descendants, of course, and they are still uh, collecting all the revenue. And uh, I guess to give, uh, well, we could say, as far as stats go, according to uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, four out of every five people who try heroin now started out addicted to prescription pills. Uh, there's a lot of information on this, but I think it's pretty and one clear. One out of five are fucking hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> one out of five are too cool to ever have done it the legal way. Yo, I don't but need no legal drugs to be addicted to heroin. I the, get in this shit in my I don't own. I need to try this with a pill. Give me the needle, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one out of five Americans are not pussies. <laughs> they went straight to injection. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, without belaboring the point, there's a lot of research on there that ties the marketing of prescription opiates, uh, especially since the 1995 introduction of OxyContin, uh, to the heroin epidemic, where in 95 and uh, 99, uh, prescription drug opiate use quadrupled in the United States. So this is a huge spike we're talking about. And this is uh, almost entirely because of Purdue Pharma and uh, the Sackler family. And I guess to, to give a brief biography on the Sacklers, like I said, there were three brothers. And it was really Arthur uh, Sackler who kind of... Uh, made the family fortune by pioneering uh, advertising prescription drugs in medical journals, selling directly to doctors, hiring doctors to convince other doctors that these drugs were good, et cetera, et cetera. And he was rewarded for that in 1997 when Arthur was posthumously inducted into the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame, uh, of course, the only Hall of Fame where uh, drug use is not a disqualifier. <laughs> and uh, and in the statement where they inducted him, they said he uh, they were honoring. It's actually, you know how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the band that's getting inducted, yes, will play. Yes. The, <laughs> they do the drug. Yeah, the metal. Yeah, they they do a line of fentanyl <laughs> instead of a Heisman. They've got cracky. The, yeah. the addicted. Uh, they just like bring a bunch of ho- homeless people on stage and yes. have the main line yes. whatever drug yes. they are inducting <laughs> yes. so you can watch its effects in real time <laughs> i'm actually looking at the medical hall of fame website and uh it's a bunch of uh doughy white fellas and the occasional white lady the occasional doughy white lady now because... why do you have to bring race into it Andy? <laughs> <laughs> this could have been anybody yeah wait no i'm going through this and now i'm trying to see if there's a non-white person on here i thought i saw some asians Hmm. I'm not saying any Asians. Man, you know, I think that doctor probably really regrets creating white people in a lab now. <laughs> you mean that dungeon. <laughs> Steven, are you seeing any Asians on here? No, not one. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't trust your white eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yogi no, could I mean, find I don't them. see race. Let me, let me, let me <laughs> yeah. fucking thought off on an Asian real quick. <laughs> but uh, in the statement where they posthumously inducted him into the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame, they said they honored his achievements in, quote, bringing the full power is. of advertising and promotion to pharmaceutical marketing. Yes. He, brought, he brought the full power of advertising and marketing. Yes. You know the the speech was says uh, bring that motherfucking ruckus and uh, everybody in the room took a pill. <laughs> it's like when uh, when Don Draper met El Chapo Guzman. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful things happened. Yes, 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 they did. And uh, you know, um, it's not a pill; it's an experience. <laughs> <laughs> But so, as I mentioned, this family, the Sacklers, they're worth uh, $13 billion, And, of course, they refuse all interviews and media appearance and this kind of stuff. But in the New Yorker profile uh, that was written about them, there were a couple interesting characters. Um, so Michael Sackler, Sackler Burner is a Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter uh, oh, yeah. who, of course, in response said he has never owned any shares in Purdue. Uh, none of the descendants of Arthur Sackler have ever had anything to do with or benefited from the sale of Oxycon. Is that which, one of his songs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually did listen to some of his music, and maybe we can play some of it at the end. But it's, you know, think your generic Brooklyn-based white singer-songwriter dude. Uh, kind there of was Bob Dylan ripoff. And my grandfather started it. <laughs> he birthed me. And just know that the music flows Because I am responsible for the death of millions I really think like uh, Mic that up, Andy Huh? Mic it up 
Oh yeah. You can you can really uh, feel the pain of having a mi- semi mi- a multi-million dollar inheritance from dumping drugs on the American I market. I am the pill. He's got a good-looking jag though. <laughs> you mean physically a jaguar is is present during this music video? I just it's love just a the idea of him holding his guitar uh, slunk to the side. He like he, he, I like the idea of him like going on stage in like Brooklyn cafes and singing about the blues and then going to check his tw- his twenty million dollar account balance. <laughs> oh, oh, this God. guy sucks. Yeah, Jesus Christ, he's awful. Uh, this guy's, Anyways, this guy's got dicks for mouths. <laughs> the song is "Keep It Easy," um, which so. is possible when you are in a multi billion dollar drug fortune. <laughs> Keep it easy is uh, the in between. Can uh, we have him tested for performance enhancing drugs? I'm pretty sure he's got some juice that we don't know about. He's the first singer songwriter where instead of doing heroin, he just <laughs> is financed by it. You know, I think uh, ironically enough, I will bet we could find at least one of the 200,000 Americans who have died died listening to this song. <laughs> he gets booked to go on uh, like tours, but only because he brings the best drugs. <laughs> I like the idea of like him going on tour and you just see all these pharmacy ads in the background. <laughs> Sponsored by Bayer. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, so so like one of the one of the big things about this opioid ap- epidemic is that in the in the last two uh last two years the uh life expectancy in the United States has gone down for the first time since maybe it was the nineties. And that's solely because of the opioid epidemic is like, and in the nineties, it was because people just got so shocked when Ross <laughs> cheated on Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> they were thousands on a break. of heart effects. <laughs> they were on a break, Sean. <laughs> we were on a break. I'm not going to do a podcast with uh, Ross defenders <laughs> and I'm walking out now. Part of that decreases, you know, from the perennial like heart disease and right. Um, but yeah, an opioid crisis is obviously <laughs> killing hundreds yeah. of thousands of people. I well, think one hundred and thirty-five a day music. is the estimate. Yeah, because that so that we could have those uh, smooth blues tones. <laughs> also, um, by the way, uh, this is just a side note. David Schwimmer uh, is apparently recording some videos to. Um, help raise awareness about sexual harassment. It's just sort of like, didn't you already cover that with Ross? <laughs> the biggest creep on sitcoms in the 90s? No, I thought Gunther was the creep. Anyways, he was a No, side Gunther character. was misunderstood. That's true. <laughs> All Gunther wanted was a piece of Rachel. He gave her a job. That does entitle him to sex. If we've, le- him if to we've li- learned anything, <laughs> it's that employing someone at a coffee shop um, but anyways, uh, and so uh, another prodigy of progeny of the Sackler uh, fortune is Marissa Sackler. And again, this is from the New Yorker profile. She is the, uh, 36-year-old daughter of Mortimer. She hot? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any pictures, but listeners. What's her name? First name? Mar- Marissa Sackler. Look this hoe up. But important thing, she founded B-Space, a nonprofit, quote, incubator that supports organizations like the Malala Fund, um, uh, Marissa Sackler recently told W Magazine that she finds the word philanthropy old-fashioned. She prefers to consider herself a, quote, social entrepreneur. And she's, like, not bad-looking, but she's got, like, a bum-ass face. Like, it's, like, a face that says, I know I'm responsible for many deaths uh, today. Yeah, but the the advantage is that you don't have to wear a condom when you're hitting that. <laughs> 
because <laughs> you nut up and get her pregnant, then uh, you get some of that OxyContin money. She she does have a face that's very like I've had several abortions that no one will ever know about. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to take part in this. Come on, Andy. Andy, denigrate this woman. Come on, she, Andy, you hate women. Exactly. It's that's what I've learned is that as long as they've killed hundreds of thousands of people, you're allowed to be misogynistic. Yeah, um, and also she just like I, I mean that thing you said about her where she's like I think uh, well, philanthropy is an outdated word. It's like. Phil- girl, Social entrepreneur. She she's the fuck up. She's disrupting the Malala yeah, fund fucking. with her fucking drug money to atone for the blood on her hands. Like she's got fucking. I think she's gunning for another spot in the medical advertising hall of fame <laughs> for being a social entrepreneur. God, like that's all. That's all that happens in this country is people make fortunes by like murdering thousands, and then they invent useless bu- buzzwords to justify their existence as why th- what they're doing is somehow different. <laughs> Apparently she had a Twitter, and her tweets are still, like, within some of the zeitgeist, but all of them have been deleted at this point. Yeah. Like, uh, Marissa Sackler on Twitter, always enjoy talking impact with you, at Ubuntu Jakes, but then you click on the link, and it's just, sorry, that page doesn't exist. So, something (laughs) happened between her tweeting and now that made her lawyers be like, uh, delete all the shit you put on the internet, you idiot. Yeah, I guess, like... (laughs) If you look at uh, when the New Yorker article was published and when the tweets started getting deleted, I think you'll find that once <laughs> journalists started trying to write articles about this, Sackler public comments increased markedly. What's, so what's decreased. this New Yorker article? Uh, it's just a New Yorker article about the uh, secret family behind uh, the heroin epidemic. And it's the same with the Esquire. We can link to both of them in the comments. But uh, they're both great reads, and they talk about the Sacklers. Mm. Sorry, i, I got to talk about this. I'm so sorry. But uh, there's an article written in People, and it's titled, Marsha Sackler, colon, Busy Bee. <laughs> <laughs> and it just opens with, Marsha Sackler's family name is synonymous with philanthropy oh, on a God. grand scale. Uh, go fuck uh, yourself. Uh, I like... What if what if the busy bee just had her like pollinating different people with painkillers? <laughs> <laughs> she just, looks at human souls as the pollen for her busy beeness. Oh god. This, oh, uh, so one more Sackler is uh, uh, Elizabeth A. Sackler. Um, and she's Arthur's daughter. And again, this is quoting from the, the New Yorker article. Arthur's daughter, Elizabeth, is on the board of the Brooklyn Museum where she endowed the Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art. And, uh, you know, nothing is more feminist than uh, making hundreds of thousands of people prostitute themselves to get more drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so these, uh, I guess, the history of the Sacklers, as we mentioned, there was the original family. They, uh, Arthur, in particular, pioneered uh, advertising, uh, medical advertising. And uh, with OxyContin, eventually they brought Purdue Pharma. And uh, in the 90s, in 95 to be specific, deployed OxyContin, which was this time-release version of oxycodone that they marketed as if it were kind of a cure-all for, for chronic pain. Um, the Guardian uh, did a report. That and they... Was it not? <laughs> well, believe it or not, actually, just last year, the CDC offered non-binding recommendations saying that, no, opiates are actually not to be used for treating chronic pain. What? Yeah. Um, but so the... what, what could you use to treat chronic pain? pain <laughs> well we can get into that a little bit but uh basically the the trump um uh, commission on opiates uh-huh. that chris christie headed up vice magazine reported that ha- about half of all public comments to that were suggesting marijuana oh really <laughs> as, a, as wow. an alternative so the commission had to address that and in their report 
they had some boilerplate thing. Uh, I'm saying, quote, the commission acknowledges that there is an active movement to produce the promote the use of marijuana as an alternative medication for chronic pain and as a treatment for opioid addiction. Uh, And then they go, blah, blah, blah. There's a lack of research, which, of course, has nothing to do with a federal ban on marijuana research. Um, You know, so basically they just kind of brush it off. But it's just sort of funny because at the beginning of the report, they're like, we need to focus on other uh, non-opiate pain treatment sources. (laughs) And then later they're like, but not that one. Yeah, right. (laughs) No, 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 no. No. And other funny thing about uh, the... Um, I'll judge if it's funny. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the president's uh, recommendations, uh, again, which were released in November 2017, uh, Chris Christie was at the head of this, um, at no point in the document, I control f it, do they mention Purdue Pharma. There is absolutely no mention. There are nine mentions of OxyContin exclusively in the context. In, in the only damning thing they say is that the FDA messed up in labeling it, which they did. But essentially, there's no attempt to hold uh, the drug industry accountable anywhere in that document. Big well, no, they're, they're part of the solution. I went to the... This is true. If you go to the Purdue Pharma website, they'll have a pop-up screen or a little pop-up box. Pop-ups, that, the way the best information is shared. Hell yeah. And they'll say the prescription... If there's one thing I've learned from visiting <laughs> porn app websites... It is that pop-ups are the way the best information is shared. Yeah, this is where you see, like, the watch a cartoon dick choke a cartoon anime girl. <laughs> Andy, I found ugly girls in my area who were looking to fuck. <laughs> really? And now I don't watch porn anymore. So this is Purdue's ugly girls in your area. It's, it says the prescription illicit and illicit opioid abuse crisis is a multifaceted public health challenge. And as a manufacturer of prescription opioids, we have a responsibility to join the fight. Uh, There's more to come. We continue to work with partners and experts to deliver solutions. Below, you'll find additional information about our efforts. So basically, I assume not long after that New Yorker article came out, they stuck this on. (gasps) Excuse me. Just retake that entire sentence. (laughs) So (laughs) I I assume before that New Yorker article came out, they just stuck this on the front of their website being like, we're here to join the fight. If any of our listeners are good at looking up when IP addresses were slightly changed, let's find out when this pop-up was added to the website. Oh, yeah. If you you click on the Contact Us button, the the (laughs) pop-up comes up again. It's like, have you read this first? (laughs) Before you send us any messages, have you read about how committed we are to fighting? But yeah, so and in the marketing, uh, the Guardian mentioned that uh, between 96, 1996 and 2001, there were at least 40 uh, different junkets paid for by Purdue Pharma uh, to pain management seminars where they flew out uh, doctors and nurses on all expenses paid trips to places like Boca Raton to essentially learn about why they should be prescribing OxyContin. And internal Purdue documents have shown that uh, doctors and uh, who went on these trips were twice as likely to uh, prescribe OxyContin. So they were uh, drugged. Right. And, you know, uh, there, there was like a real effort to market this as non-addictive. And as mentioned in the FDA, um, they approved a sentence, despite no clinical trials being done, to show that OxyContin was less addictive. There was a sentence from 95 to 2001 on OxyContin approved by the FDA that said, quote, delayed absorption as provided by OxyContin tablets is believed to re- uh, reduce the abuse liability of a drug. And that, of course, allowed them and to market they, it as they non-addicted. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, eventually in 99, they did, and that was, of course, not true. Uh, something like 13% of patients who were giving it for headache treatment became addicted. 
Uh, even though, uh, hey, I have headaches. Should I be taking heroin? <laughs> Talk to your doctor. They'll possibly say yes if they went to this junk. <laughs> and it's like another weird thing is like people know oxycodone uh, mainly because of Percocet, which is a mix of oxycodone and Tylenol. Um, so doctors assume that oxycodone was less powerful than morphine when in fact it's more powerful. <laughs> so oxycontin was almost entirely um, oxycodone with this delayed release mechanism that doctors and of course Purdue Pharma for some reason did not dissuade them from this idea assumed was you know less powerful. So you wouldn't like give someone with a headache morphine but suddenly they were giving people with headaches oxycontin and stuff. I need an opioid that works hard for me for 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> We should make a trailer for, for these opioids. Uh, Hi. Do you ever have headaches or pain anywhere in your body or are just irritated by other people in your life? Do you have a doctor that will do anything to get rid of you during a checkup? If you've said yes to any of these, we recommend heroin? <laughs> no. And- in one of those weird coincidences that happens in Washington, the uh, FDA examiner who oversaw that uh, label that was put on OxyContin uh, two years afterwards joined Purdue Pharma to continue the fight against opiates from the inside. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, so... Uh, wait, wait. So uh, you, you were talking uh, off mic earlier about um, Purdue handed out some... Uh, right. Yeah, so they created a program, which I believe they discontinued in 90, 99 or Boo. 2000. Um, but basically, when they first o- introduced OxyContin, they created uh, these free coupons that they give to doctors who would give a free initial prescription for one month's worth of OxyContin, 30 days. Um, by the time they discontinued the program, uh, 34,000 coupons had been redeemed. <laughs> so they gave out 34,000 uh, free doses. Does which, it specify, like what the dose for a day is or can you <laughs> can you can you crank that all the way up like i injured my uh, my shoulder so i'm going to need the the 50 milligrams i just love that i'm going to need the one that that comes with one of those uh, pulp fiction stab in the heart needles <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's not like vouchers or like a trial basis passes. It's coupons. Like, <laughs> oh, you know that thing you use to buy milk at a cheaper price? Well, how about some drugs for the same reason? <laughs> but you, you have to do the coupon so that uh, people don't feel like they're doing something illegal. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> By giving out free samples. But, you know, it's like... It's like I always say, like I said when I was introduced into the uh, Pharmaceutical Marketing Hall of Fame, uh, you know, we really have a lot to learn from the Sinaloa cartel, (laughs) the Juarez, (laughs) and the Crips and the Bloods. It's sad that they will never be a part of that Hall of Fame, and they've done so much work. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what, it's another example of like... um, The brown and black candidates never being nominated for awards. (laughs) This is why I'm boycotting the Oscars again this year. Well, it's like, yeah, you know, rich white people ripping off uh, things that were already developed by uh, poor black and brown people and uh, doing it legally and then being celebrated for it and making millions of dollars. Not even celebrated for it. Celebrated for you after death. Like, oh, you're dead now, but we still want to let you know that you meant so much to us that are living off the profits of the (laughs) terrible things that you did. Um, but yeah, I don't So some listeners might wonder maybe why I'm so adamant and hard on the Sackler family and their disgustingly ugly daughters. Um, <laughs> but some listeners might wonder that. And, and I will confess that uh, my younger brother is a heroin addict. 
uh, he was uh, living with my mom and dad, and he had to move out because he was stealing things from them and, and pawning uh, those things. Put a put a sound drop for a sad trombone. <laughs> <laughs> Petite and persuasive, Sackler has a low maintenance vibe that bellies her Tony upbringing. This is People magazine. Born in London, she attended boarding school in Wiltshire and spent holidays at her family homes in uh, Gastad and Antibes. Uh, Those are names I don't even know how to pronounce. I'm like a surprisingly well talented voiceover actors actor and g-s-t-a-a-d and a-n-t-i-b-e these are places i don't even know how to pronounce that's how fancy they are just imagine like people magazine doing this profile for like frank lucas like (laughs) leaving the site of his latest murder (laughs) he's dapper dressed from head to stone in the latest armani fashions he's headed off to a vacation in uh, boca raton Anyway, so uh, my brother is, uh, he lives in Seattle. We, uh, I haven't talked to him in a little while. Um, he's uh, been in and out of rehab, and, and I hope he'll get back there. But I know, essentially, what I know with my brother, and, and this is something that a lot of people have gone through tragedy. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, their parents die, or most people do eventually. You know, they'll have a heart attack or something, and that's tragic, but, it, you know, it happens. It's life. What happened to my brother and, again, 200,000 some Americans who have died of overdose and the many hundreds of thousands, uh, millions possibly, who are addicted today, what happened to them was not an unavoidable tragedy. This was created and marketed and uh, deliberately designed to get people addicted. And, of course, even today we are feeling the consequences of it. Wait, I thought it was time release, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the time is now. (laughs) I don't know. When we can't trust the FDA, who can we trust? Um, the DEA? <laughs> well, funny you should say the DEA, Yogi, oh. because there is another uh, saga in this chapter. Uh, 60 Minutes in the Washington Post uh, did a story on this. But basically, um, in 2016, Ensuring Patient Access, an Effective Drug Enforcement Act of 2016, was signed into law by President Barack Obama. And uh, what this did was it basically made it extremely difficult for the DEA to shut down uh, abusive pill mills. And just as a a quick explanation, what would happen is... uh, (laughs) What would happen is various um, medical doctors or whatever in Florida or West Virginia would start over-prescribing or they would open these pain clinics where anybody could walk in and get a prescription. And, uh, of course, this was all drug addiction uh, stuff. Um, And so what happened, according to the Washington Post, um, the newly proposed language required the DEA to show that a company's conduct posed a, quote, substantial likelihood of immediate threat or substantial likelihood of an immediate threat of death, serious bodily harm or drug abuse before the agency could seek a suspension order that is shut down a distributor or a pill mill. Um, and, of course, uh, this was uh, – the major distributors, just to note, are McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen. They control around 90% of the market. These uh, distributors buy the drugs from Purdue and among others. They redistribute them to uh, individual uh, pain clinics and uh, pharmacies and this kind of stuff. Um, and just to make a quick note here um, – The uh, original version of this was introduced by Congressman Tom Marino in the House in uh, 2015, and he, of course, had to withdraw as Trump's nominee for drug czar because it came out that he had written this language specifically to um, shield uh, pill mills and other people um, helping get people addicted to prescription opiates from the consequences of the law. 
And look, you know, I know we have maybe a leftist audience. Whatever you think about the DEA, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, we'll send fucking uh, child-killing death squads to go after Pablo Escobar. But, you know, if you're a uh, upstanding white-collar businessman, we will protect you with every element of the law. And, you know, quick shout-out. One more thing on this. Actually, Pablo Escobar's son had a little uh, change of... He went into the public spotlight and did a little, like, you know, I'm sad about what my father did, but I'm trying to make it better. Well, he should meet Elizabeth A. Sackler. (laughs) She lights up when talking about shooting aerial footage of the Nairobi slum of Kiberia from a prop plane or visiting well sites in Ethiopia's far north with the group's founder, Scott Harrison, and a bunch of Silicon Valley whiz kids. Though today she's wearing a moss green Jay Mendel dress over a cozy elder (laughs) statesman sweater, the dress, Sackler says, pointedly is a bit of a departure from her generally understated wardrobe we have an event here tonight she explains i like how when this thing says she lights up when talking about shooting aerial footage in my head i'm like you know just straight murdering right that, that's she's talking about, uh, just straight she lights up when she talks about hunting the poor in the slums of calcutta <laughs> yogi, why is it gotta be sh- india you should go easy on her she, one of her partners and allies at b space is a uh, yogi tease <laughs> oh well sorry never mind uh, i didn't realize sackler was a part of my tea empire uh, we could talk about the family. Well, I know I don't want to cut off your antibiotics, Andy. I know you're well, going to no, talk so, yeah. about So we're going to talk about a bunch of other aspects of the drug market. Um, I guess I could, yeah, I could do the next thing. So basically you've heard about when uh, drug companies manufacture uh, essentially a narcotic and create a narcotics problem. Now let's... Let's take a look at when they manufacture what they're supposed to, which is medicine, uh, useful medicine. Uh, oh. that Yeah. And uh, so I, I looked into antibiotics and uh, the drug companies' roles in antibiotics. And what's, what's kind of interesting about uh, the current situation right now is that um, antibiotics have essentially a, a shelf life. They'll, after a few years basically of continued use of a certain antibiotic uh, for treatment of a certain disease, bacteria will develop a resistance to that disease, basically evolutionarily where not all the bacteria get killed in like a patient and the ones that survive have a mutation that allows them to resist an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. And it's an ongoing problem in the use of antibiotics, like going all the way back to uh, Arthur Fleming uh, who invented penicillin he said in his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, like he warned about over-the-counter antibiotics because they could create what are now known as superbugs, bugs that are resistant to antibiotics. Also, when the label says it kills 99.9% of germs <laughs> and everyone logically worries about the point one, Yeah. That's sort of... That's yeah. precisely what they have, right? Because they're out for revenge. And yeah, and you just slaughtered their... Yeah, you their slaughtered their family. So, And everyone knows the zero... 0.01% is always the strongest. Yeah. The Rambo bugs. <laughs> First blood. Okay, then that's that's how you get your your MRSA infection in the hospital and whatnot. Yeah, oh. so that's how that's basically how you um overuse of antibiotics will create um or even just regular use, like it's it's kind of a natural cycle of antibiotics where a type of antibiotic goes out. Uh the bugs develop resistance to it, and they have to manufacture a new type of antibiotics that can actually kill those bugs that they don't have a resistance to. Right. And so it's a natural process that this happens. Um, 
that just falls from the use of antibiotics, but over prescription of them has led to like an increased rate of antibiotic resistance. Um, is that what we're facing now? Yeah. And so what we're facing now is not just an increased amount of antibiotic resistance, but also because all pill companies are privatized, they have less of an incentive. Antibiotics are very costly to make. Uh, the FDA approval process is um, lengthy. Is lengthy. Um, apparently, they don't have to uh, prove as many things as if they were distributing a narcotic. Uh, they, and so there's also a low rate of return on antibiotics because ultimately they're sold for cheap. They quickly become generics, and so they antibiotic companies are essentially incentivized not to produce antibiotics. And so they had actually a, a forum in Davos where uh, two years ago where uh, drug companies would brainstorm like ideas for how to uh, incentivize themselves to create more antibiotics. And one of the ideas they came up with was that the government would give them a lump sum of money <laughs> when they came up with an antibiotic. It's like, oh, so maybe we could just nationalize this process. Right, it right. sounds like you guys can't do it. <laughs> From your own, uh, from your own. I like how well, they literally think, hey, maybe if we got more money, we would do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. It's basically <laughs> like blackmail. It's like, oh, you don't want to die of MRSA? Uh, I mean, we could do something about that, but it'll cost you. And this I love why, their yeah. solution leaves absolutely no role for themselves in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, here's here's what's most interesting. What, where it gets, you go kind of down the rabbit hole is that 80% of antibiotics are not used on humans they're used on livestock and the they're not even given to livestock necessarily when they get sick though they use it for that but mostly they just put it in livestock feed at least in the united states to fatten up livestock because antibiotics like have that effect where it just helps animals gain weight and essentially um one of the former FDA uh, commissioners, David Kessler, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying, like, and this is kind of well-established, it's like, it's very likely that this is a big part of antibiotic resistance. Right, right. Because well. we're just feeding them to livestock with, like, in small doses, which enhances antibiotic resistance. And the, the drug, the um, uh, agriculture business is saying, like, well, no, uh, animal pathogens are different from human pathogens, so it's not actually causing antibiotic resistance to human diseases, um, but also they're lobbying to block any kind of research by the FDA oh, into what? whether it increases antibiotic wow. resistance. Fucking crooks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a crook. And on top of that, like the people who are making these antibiotics are also drug companies. Right, right. And so like on one hand, you've got drug companies going and saying like, we're doing everything we can yeah. to stop the misuse of antibiotics. And you know, it starts with all of us. We can't take antibiotics... For the common cold. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but we'll feed them to pigs to right. make them, you know, to get 20% more meat. Yeah. And like, if you're broke and like you have no money and you're sick, in theory, you could go steal livestock feed to get better. Like, think about that for Probably. a second. Like, yeah, it, there's some non-prescription, I think, livestock antibiotics you can buy. Essentially, the drug companies are saying, hey, uh, we're out there to stop antibiotics. And there's, it's, it's funny if you go to, I mentioned um, uh, that if you go to the Purdue Pharma website, they mm -hmm. have a little 
page that tells you right, right, right. Uh, that we're working to fight antibiotics. So I tried to look into what companies are selling antibiotics for livestock, and it's surprisingly hard to find a company that lists its ability to sell antibiotics for livestock. Like their FDA, in 2008 there was a law that was passed that mandated that the FDA would um, keep track of what antibiotics are used on livestock. And I went to one of these reports, and repeatedly in the report they're like, and uh, in, in, keeping in mind uh, business confidentiality, we're not going to release the names of the companies. What? Yeah, yeah. So they're protecting they're protecting companies and they wouldn't give company names for like the manufacture of antibiotics for livestock. <laughs> and then like the best I could find was eventually I found Bayer, who uh interesting interesting subnote, uh they were part of IG Farben during World War II and involved in the creation of Zyklon B. What is that? It was a pesticide that was exclusively used as a pesticide <laughs> and the Holocaust. And there was never any gas chambers in Auschwitz. And that's all a lie. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, and they're an upstanding company that had uh, an executive that ran uh, part of the Auschwitz-Birkenau work camp along with the Zyklon B thing. And uh, then he was tried for war crimes, uh, prosecuted, served some time. And became the president of West Germany. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. That would be ridiculous. He was then rehired as the executive of Bayer after the war. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so wait, they are the only one that was in a deep, deep report outed as as, as putting anti- uh, antibiotics into their livestock feed? No, they're the only one I could find. Mm. And also they had a Nazi background, so I had to bring that up. Right, sure, of course. Of course. And I like so, the idea they have like an internal meeting. It's like... You know, we need to move away from our barbaric past and just (laughs) kill people much more slowly. (laughs) Yes. Hey, technically it's not illegal to kill animals, so why don't we just kill them to kill humans? No, they're keeping the animals alive uh, to kill kill us. us. Yes. What if it was like like long-term genocide when they're like, you know, we tried it directly and that didn't work. So what if we just eliminate the human capacity to resist all diseases (laughs) and we could just commit large-scale genocide of the entire population? Omnicide. Omnicide. So I went to their website on livestock antibiotics and immediately there are all these pictures of people playing with their dogs (laughs) where they're like... These are to keep your pets healthy. And then wow. just like on the Purdue Pharma page with a disclaimer about the opio- opioid crisis and how they're doing everything they can to stop it, the Bayer page is like, we take antibiotic resistance very seriously and are working to research deeper into this problem. So it's in our livestock feed. Where else are these antibiotics? Is it in our food? Uh, no, they're not putting them directly in our food. Uh, though part of... I mean, unless you eat meat. And if then, you eat meat, yeah, yeah you're right, going to get yeah. antibiotics. And then another thing is that uh, livestock shit uh, has antibiotics, and that's often used as a fertilizer. So it's it's going to... Even if you're not eating meat, or um, even if you're vegan, it still might make its way into your daily diet. Wow. Yeah, that's take like that, you insufferable motherfuckers. You spray crops with antibiotics, and it winds up into our, Do our diet? I'm asking... Uh, I don't know about. I don't think see anything about like vegetarian diets getting affected. I haven't. I haven't seen anything about that. Yeah, beyond I'm, I'm more concerned about the vegetarian diets, <laughs> the meat eaters' diets. Not really a concern. I, w- I would. I would just love to read that kale shakes are like a, a vector of MRSA or something. <laughs> <laughs> a vector of MRSA is what this episode should be called. 
Um, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's that's when drug companies are manufacturing what they were created to manufacture, and not just you know party. Is that not party drugs, but you know, uh, good time drugs. What else does Bayer make? They make all kinds. Uh, well, they they used to be involved in pesticides, <laughs> as Sean mentioned. Uh, but they're mostly pharmaceutical, and I think they also make pesticide. Actual, and uh, they actually still do pesticides. I think Andy I, is, of course, referring to the Jews as pests <laughs> right now. Wow. They they were. Andy I think, went through a breakup with a Jewish girl, and his views have changed since that time. Very, very much. They he's, were. He's thinking about dating a Vietnamese girl next, but we're telling him not to. <laughs> you know that famous pesticide, Agent Orange. <laughs> <laughs> The link has not been proven oh to birth defects. Uh, Napalm's a pesticide in many ways. <laughs> they, uh, it really is. They were I actually mean, it does co- kill pests, <laughs> and that is the only requirement to be a pesticide. <laughs> Once you just have a broad enough definition of pest. Yeah. Oh wow. Just like a two by four with nails on it is a pesticide. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you consider that a pesticide? Anything that murders is a pesticide. Mm-hmm. Even enough water is a pesticide, technically. But yeah, no, that's good to know that uh, superbugs will be taking over our hospitals soon. Uh, oh, there's been a like a 100% drop in the last year in the number of new antibiotics being produced. A hundred percent drop? Or basically, it's been halved. Uh, that's I guess that's I guess fifty percent drop. Uh, Andy has a physics degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, a hundred percent gain is doubling. Yeah, shut up! Shut the fuck up, Sean. Uh, yeah, dropped from thirty three between nineteen eighty five and nineteen ninety nine to thirteen between two thousand and twenty fourteen. I like how Andy has a physics degree and I didn't graduate college, and yet I call caught this. This you cool. guys can all shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> Antibiotic drug production has ceased in the United States. <laughs> I was like, I was like, a hundred percent. I feel like this should be a bigger news story. <laughs> no way, Cuffeffy squeezed by on top of a hundred percent of antibiotics not being uh, manufactured in this country. This is not the roast Andy podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. Jeffries, I, I, I uh, I've gathered that you researched the production of these prescription drugs and how much it costs. Yeah, so I did some research on the the overall process of um, big the big pharmaceutical companies go through to get a drug approved in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they go through the FDA, and Sean and Andy touched on part of that process already, but they have gone through like a lot of sort of technological changes in order to basically make it more profitable, mm-hmm. and to um, a lot of the rhetoric is like. About the FDA is obviously it's going to be that their regulation like stifles innovation and mm-hmm. um, makes the overall process more expensive. And it's debatable whether or not that's true. But then again, these are national medications that you want to work really well. So it's probably going to be pretty expensive regardless. Yeah, you don't necessarily want a drug where it's like, well, you know, it cures your pneumonia and you'll lose a leg. <laughs> but Although that is coming out next year. That's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, leg loss, pneumonia cure. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it's it's just to give a breakdown, it's basically four steps, and it starts with drug discovery, which is typically the most expensive part. And that these days, it's heavily automated. It used to be a very manual process with um, 
like a team of like 10 or 20 scientists in a lab manually going and testing like it, they just squirting things yeah it's a couple of assholes just kind of combining <laughs> chemicals <laughs> and that's how it went no uh they they have like a the overall fight process and then they just throw their clothes and petri dishes and see what what they got it started, it started as like a primitive mad science operation no, but they it was it used to be a manual process, but now it's like a really automated thing where they have like a huge database of hundreds of thousands of chemical compounds that they already have identified have some sort of um healing properties. Healing properties mm-hmm. and they test those against what they believe to be targeted uses uh, against proteins and enzymes. Mm-hmm. And that used to be very manual, but now it's heavily automated like I said, and they have or like computer modeling of like how how different molecules would interact with even various. even better it's it's huge robots that actually can test a tray's worth of hundreds of thousands of compounds every day really oh, yeah wow. it used to be like the team of scientists would get through like a couple thousand but now it's like easily a hundred thousand a day and they actually do use sometimes they don't even use actual compounds and it's just a computer model so wait, of like wait, the molecule of how they believe the chemicals react. Damn. So and then from there they can extrapolate what would actually be useful, what would be commercially viable. I'm gonna they say hope. molecule one more time. Molecule. So wait, the entire process is automated from a mixing standpoint. There's still um, actually there's kind of a jobs crisis now. Oh really? Because of this. You know my <laughs> um, like bi- DJ, biology. Run that pharma back. <laughs> Like biology and chemistry majors, um, they can still find jobs at roughly the same rate as the average, uh, you know, BA holder or something. Mm-hmm. But their the jobs that they find are much more sort of menial, and they can't really use what their degree program was intended to do. Which Only is, those select lucky ones who get to go into Bayer's secret lab. Yeah, I mean, if to you're the new pesticide, if you're committed to create <laughs> creating superbugs, then I guess you don't have a problem. But if you like want to work on like making, like say, an antidepressant or something. Um, you're probably going to be one of the guys who builds and maintains the machines that that combine all these chemicals. You're not going to be actually in there like pipetting shit. Hmm. So that that's the most expensive part, and then it moves on to preclinical trials where they might do like an animal test or something, mm-hmm. or they might have like the. This is all controlled by the FDA. What are so they testing they, on rats and shit? Yeah, if you go typically rats, um, like monkeys and stuff like that. Yeah, they get they start with like probably easiest to attain, which is probably rats, and then work their way up to more like humans. Right, but there also are more expensive. there are some independent studies that were done on twins and uh, <laughs> <laughs> also bear. I, mean, I I don't know what like China has in store, but mainly <laughs> it's uh, if it gets to testing on organism, it's like rats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but normally they just move through that stage pretty quickly to just the regular clinical trials with human beings. And that's the most link, the linkiest process. And from there, um, you know, the FDA has approval at every single step and they have since 1962. That's when the sort of the modern process started. And so the whole process, um, I looked up a meta analysis on a couple different studies of the, the costs and the overall time and it typically takes around like 12 to 15 years and about $2 billion. Like I've seen some estimates are higher, $2.4 billion or something. And I don't know, I was thinking it would be much more expensive than it was. 
Well, it's interesting that that two billion number. I mean, that's for a private company to develop and take a drug to market, right? Yeah, and like despite these companies being publicly traded, so you think you would get an idea of these costs. Um, it's it's very guarded. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess was... that makes a lot of sense, actually. Like they say so have contracts with some contracts with the government and university systems that will allow them to use research and their technology to help develop the drugs and mm-hmm. so you can find out a lot about their costs in those areas because they're required to report them yeah that's the thing i was going to ask is like you know two, you know that that number you gave that two billion seems reasonable but then it's like since it's so under wraps it feels like it's so overinflated. like it feels like they it might be like a 1.2 1.3 billion type of thing and they're like eh, tack on 700 million because we all want bonuses this year because why wouldn't they you can't look it up yeah. And so like the the overall process of, you know, 15 year 2 billion divided by, you know, 15. So that's a lot less than it they kind of make it sound like when they're right, railing couple, against the FDA or yeah, something. It's a couple hundred million a year. I mean, that's just one drug though. I mean, how many are they working on at any point? Yeah. But when you consider that like um some of these drugs, once they are approved and you've already secured a patent early on in the drug discovery phase, if it was deemed viable, mm-hmm. like they could generate like thirty billion in revenue. Yeah, you said that OxyContin generated around thirty-five billion. Thirty-five billion, yeah, for for Purdue yeah. Pharma, and that's the that's the thing too with the price incentives is like, uh, you know, drugs like OxyContin or apparently cancer treatment drugs have a big return on investment. Like right. cancer treatment drugs, uh, there's a lot of drugs you got to. Um, the treatment, yeah, requires a lot of stuff, and so they can make a ton of money off of that. Um, but then antibiotics, there's not a lot of return on investment, so they just kind of cut it out of their. Some some companies just dropped antibiotic research because they're like, eh, it's not worth paying for. It's sad that these numbers make me just remind me of like indie movie numbers. Like we spent two million on uh, uh, Juno, and uh, we got thirty million out of it. Like it's like it just feels like that same type of like. Yeah, you know, we got this little small drug we're working on, but uh, we think it could be pretty big. Uh, yeah, I mean, got so a couple of awards coming our way. In the so actually, only like fewer than some like two percent of drugs that are de- identified in the drug discovery process actually go on to get approved. So it's a very arduous process for safety reasons. But you know, GlaxoSmithKline and all those guys are hoping that they come across like the. To your analogy, like the equivalent of like the Blair Witch version <laughs> of, of a drug, the and and that was OxyContin. Where <laughs> and that was, yeah. Apparently, in all of these arduous like animal to human tests, they never got around to uh, <laughs> addiction right, potential. Right. Well, actually, like uh, again, Purdue Pharma's internal documents actually showed some of this stuff, but of course, they ignored it. Um, but like in the yeah, how is that legal? I'm sorry to cut you off, but like how how is it that I mean it's it's not, uh, <laughs> but they because of this 2007 settlement, uh, they shielded themselves from further prosecution. Oh really? Hell yeah. Um, Lawyers, yeah. if you don't have one, you'll probably get sued. <laughs> Hell yeah. And actually, like the you're talking about off-label uses for oxycontin and whatnot. Yeah, and like plenty of other that yeah, it's that's a industry-wide phenomenon. And so like a patent can be secured early on in the drug discovery phase for specific uses, but then later after it's already cleared all those hurdles and it might've already made a few billion, Mm -hmm. like they can, 
insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies can subtly influence doctors to prescribe it for for off-label uses like to pick one drug that i have no personal connection to and i just chose randomly mm-hmm. bupropion it's an antidepressant <laughs> i know nothing and about that one <laughs> And it uh, that is not part of my morning routine. <laughs> it's, it's used to treat depression, but it's also used to treat um, loss of appetite. Well, Andy and, definitely doesn't know about that then. And gla- shut the fuck gla- up, Glaxo, Sean. GlaxoSmithKline actually faced a three billion dollar fine for like for like a criminal fraud case mm. for using the marketing those drugs for off label uses that led to like negative health impacts. Well, it's claimed to help with ADHD. Which most people I know who've tried it for that like never found any response from it. Uh, it also is supposed to help with smoking cessation, mm. um, which I've kind of uh, used it for, but it's apparently doesn't keep you off of them. Um, this is all just from things I've read. Yes, uh, no, no personal no personal experience. No personal experience. Yeah, right, no, right. yeah. I mean, we yeah, just what, chose random. When you know, Andy was when Andy was smoking that cigarette on the way over here, I could tell the drug was working. <laughs> I was like, this is not hitting my nicotine receptors. <laughs> I don't it, like doing this because of the drugs I'm taking. It is just like kind of a thing, though. It's like like we were saying, these these private uh, companies say, you know, the FDA adds all this burdenous government regulation and waste and all this shit. But it's like nobody ever really gets around to it. It's like, uh, aren't, you know, the people trying to profit off this or isn't there a lot of waste there you know and the entire idea of having these parasites and these uh drugs who are supposed to be for the public interest but of course you know their incentives are all fucked up so they're not developing antibiotics or in the case of purdue and oxycontin they're deliberately trying to get people addicted instead of trying to manage pain you know so it's like there is so much waste and uh evil and crap that goes on in a private drug system and of course, the prices, which are out of control in the right, United States. Right. So, but what about the drug marketing innovations? <laughs> That's true. Well, there's so many awards for those these days. That's really what we got to focus on. You know, you talk about the prices. Uh, so, I, my parents uh, have some. They take some prescription medicines, and uh, they started buying them from India because it's so much cheaper. And at first, my dad was like, "Ah, I feel like my doctor's going to be like, you know, what the fuck are you doing, you know." But uh, he told his doctor, like, hey, I'm taking these from India. And then she was like, oh, that's great. They, these medicines are perfect. <laughs> Feel free to keep doing that. <laughs> and um, there's uh, there's this, like, um, uh, crisis law, which says that if your country is in crisis, you can uh, manufacture any medicine without uh, having to deal with the copyright law of all medicines, right? And so India has declared that we're always in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> And because of that, they've just been manufacturing whatever medicine they want. And <laughs> so since there's low regulation for that, they don't give a fuck. And uh, when American lawyers tried to stop that, they said, you can stop it, but you'll kill millions of people in Africa. So <laughs> if you want to be responsible for that, then uh, you'd be fucked. And then the response to that American lawyer said, yes, but but the shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the Dow Industrial yeah. Average? It could go up 0.03% if we murdered all these people. There's that famous picture of a a starving shareholder with a vulture standing (laughs) over him. And that vulture is labeled government regulation. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing that's interesting. And uh, there's this article that was posted about it. And it said that 
drugs that cost $750 a pill in the U.S. called 1350 in India. And mm-hmm. so this, that, that's one for... Uh, oh, of course. This There's... is the Martin Shkreli HIV AIDS uh, pill that we're right. talking about. And... Oh, did our friend, uh, what's his name? Screlly. Screlly, yeah. Was that the one that he jacked up? Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's yes, that is I said those words moments before you asked that question. <laughs> um Wow, Andy, this podcast could be improved if you listen to what Yogi was saying <laughs> before speaking Adderall into your microphone. Last all day, Sean. <laughs> Andy, I, I noticed you never Well, was... Purdue Pharma is working on a solution. <laughs> Called a time release. And I can't both. afford the time release, Sean. <laughs> I'm on generics. I mean, it's just crazy that, like, how, you know, we talk about conditions in third world countries being so terrible, mm-hmm. and yet in these strange small ways, it's a thousand percent better. Oh, yeah. Literally, financially, a thousand percent better. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy. So, I, I, uh, I've, I, my dad told me about this, and so I've known about this for a while, and then I was talking to a guy who, um, uh, he was driving uh, the car I was in. I think it was a Lyft. Anyway, uh, he was telling me about, like, yes, that's true, but also what has happened is that uh, illegal drug smugglers in India to Pakistan will take illicit fake drugs. So basically, within the corruption, people are now trying to profit on top of the corruption by chopping up this already cheap medicine to sell for even cheaper to fuck over the poorest of the poor. So, basically what I'm trying to say is there's no winning in the pharmaceutical industry. Everyone's a snake, and everyone's a crook. Grub stickers out. No, I'm good. It's a good summary. But, like, it, it is so frustrating because, like, you know, throughout this entire conversation, at one point I want to be like, hey, are there any companies that are just trying to do good? And the sad truth is, not really. No, when but it's... I, I mean, I was just going to say, it's like... It's not so much that people are evil, but they are, but it's also the entire incentives of money-making on medicine or pharmacy, uh, pharmacological products in this case. It's all fucked up because, as we have mentioned, you know, uh, antibiotics or... Pharmacological. Pharmacological. It's all fucked up. So antibiotics are not profit-making, so they're not prioritized by private companies. Uh, Getting people addicted is extremely profit-making, so that becomes the incentive. Or, you know, as in the case of uh, Screlly and many other companies, he's just the public face, but uh, they get these essential life-saving drugs, and then once they control the patents, they jack up the price, you know, X thousand percent. So, again, uh, the entire incentive of making money off of this is uh, is crooked, and instead we should be looking at alternatives. You know, as mentioned, uh, uh, there's the idea to have the government essentially give rewards to people who invent these drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> by the uh, the pharmacy companies accidentally came up with this idea that should actually just exclude them entirely. Um, you know, so there's there's lots of ways of delivering generic life saving drugs that don't involve these very complex, wasteful, and parasitic uh, pharmaceutical companies. Insert Gordon Gecko. greed is good drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all true, but boy, that shit's probably not happening in our lifetime. <laughs> not with that attitude. <laughs> President Bernie's going to fix it, man. You know, Jeffries and I were talking about a little earlier that like, if we took, the in theory, the military budget and put it into that pharmaceutical manufacturing you could manufacture like I don't know, a couple hundred new medicines Whoa. for the amount of money that we spend on killing oh, people. Oh man, imagine yeah. like the oxy that we could make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could go I'm, up to five hundred milligrams. Yeah, yeah. Drop that light. I mean, we could really coast. 
I mean, like, we talk about how many people the U.S. is killing, but we're worried about superbugs because of antibiotics, but it's like, oh, we could murder the fuck out of those bugs if we really put our minds to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, two, you know, the average number of two billion might seem like a lot, but not, like you said, in, in the scope of what we spend on the military or what, like, individual in, uh, medical research schools have in their endowments you know i mean it's really not that much does medical research project strength across the world uh and ensure a strong grip on um well you know what i mean we have to i mean canada holds some sway over us in terms of people go there to get um affordable medication (laughs) they have that over us i guess oh yeah cory booker voted against importing uh drugs from canada for cheaper prices uh as opposed to american drugs that are more expensive because he said they're untested even though the drugs are typically made in the same factories right right it's like when uh, the drum cymbals are all made by like one turkish company and so whenever i used to hear people be like yeah i I only use zildjian or sabians i'm like they're they're literally the same factory (laughs) It's literally the same room that they're making these goddamn drum cymbals. Why are they so expensive? Because there's literally one factory (laughs) that makes all of them. It's kind of like diamonds. You know how diamonds... Oh, uh, blood cymbals. Yes, precisely. But instead of blood, it's uh, banging brass against a hot steel. (laughs) Well, I guess if we had one message for the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies, it would be, please keep doing whatever you're doing to Andy Palmer's mind. (laughs) (laughs) We we really enjoyed it so far, and we look forward to new advances in Andy Palmer's personality. If you cut off my effects, sir, I will kill everyone around me. I'm kidding. I will only kill myself. Yeah, I wonder how many like if like all pharmaceuticals got cut one in one day, how many people would just start going slowly insane? Oh, I would. Andy is certainly. I, I guess you know one in every four people in this country is a pretty good estimate. Yeah, if you've had SSRI withdrawals. Oh boy, that's a headache. Yeah. Oh, it's more than a headache. It's a headache that tells you you'll never amount to anything. <laughs> Any, anytime someone says SSRI, I always think they're talking about RSS feeds, and I'm like, what's the internet got to do with what you're talking about? <laughs> I don't, I don't see why Wi-Fi codes is, is per- affecting your personality. <laughs> you see the very code on that. <laughs> you got an IP address for this uh, SSR? <laughs> Anyways, I think the conclusions here are uh, nationalize the phar- pharmaceutical industry, vote Bernie Sanders 2020, and uh, hang the executives. And also, um, check out the Sackler Crossing in Kew Gardens, or the Sackler Wing at the um, uh, Met or MoMA or the Louvre. Uh, or the endowment at Harvard or Tufts that the Sackler sponsored. And if you got any good OxyConnects, hit me up. <laughs> if you got any of those coupons, what? yeah, yeah, if feel the, free. The, we will accept coupons for free OxyContin <laughs> doses in lieu of Patreon subscription. I did Pretty the math, but I got cut off. But that thirty-four thousand coupons uh-huh. times thirty, just depending on the month, it was a million and twenty thousand days worth of Oxy co- like Hell like yeah. prescription. And I was just like, man. Of course there's a fucking heroin crisis right now. They gave people a million days worth of free oxy. A million days of bliss, Yogi. Uh, <laughs> they gave out a million days worth of happiness. That sounds like philanthropy. With no regard for their own profit. <laughs> no regard for their bottom line. Boy, like, yeah, I mean, I they knew going in that it's not that addictive. 
they gave it out with full knowledge that this is a less addictive version. We just we're doing this as a charity. It's not to get people hooked. Cause That's we what know. that movie 500 Days of Summer was yes. about. Yes, yes. <laughs> he spent the entire time on free oxygen. No, that, that scene in American Gangster where he's giving out samples of the, <laughs> the blue heroin. That's really about the uh, heroin <laughs> epidemic. That's really mirroring. He was a businessman. He was a businessman. Jay-Z made that album. Frank Lucas. That's right. All right. Thank you for listening. The most important thing in business is honesty, integrity, hard work, family. Never forgetting where we came from. Thank you, Sean. See, you are what you are in this world. That's either one or two things. Either you're somebody, or you're nobody. Be right back. Come back here and get you. You know what it is. Yes, sir. I hear you. You won't have to come back. There will be no problem. What about you, Frank? You need anything? Where's my money? Red Top gave you the package. You're supposed to be handing me my money. There's a jar right here. 20%. Oh, you got the jar? That's right. <laughs> get the fuck out of here, Frank. Oh, what you gonna do? What the fuck you gonna do, Frank? Huh? What you doing? You gonna shoot me in front of everybody? Huh? Come on.